Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. Back at its normally scheduled time, 9 o'clock Tuesday and Thursday night, your one hour of my world of reality. So thank you so much for joining us. As usual, I am your host, Jake Counts, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. And it has gotten even crazier since Sunday, if you can even believe it. Now, Sunday I spent um, the entire podcast talking about um, morality here in America, what morality is by definition, how we've strayed from that, how it brings on all kinds of challenges and issues when it comes to freedom in general. And so now we're going to talk about the grand chessboard or the big scheme of things. And joining me here uh, a little bit later on in the broadcast will be Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution. And we're going to get into the situation in the Ukraine. And the best way to really understand what's going on in the Ukraine is to get an idea or to dive into history. How dare we? So what I've done is I've put a compilation together of some important dates and important Uh, I guess, transitions that took place during um, the formation of Yugoslavia through the um, illegitimacy of the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union fell apart, how all of this stuff came together and we have this specific region called Crimea. Now, for those of you that read a lot of history books, I have, once again, not saying that I'm a historical scholar by any sense of the imagination, but I've taken a newfound love of history um, in my latter years, and I'm slowly getting back into... I have not delved into Soviet history, but I do remember a lot of this from the history course I took in college and the history courses that I've taken um, throughout high school and stuff. So some of this stuff may sound familiar. The area known as Crimea should sound familiar to you. They had these things called the Crimean Wars, which the Crimean War, the, the very first one, took place in 1853, And it was fought between the Russian Empire with the alliance of the French, the British, the Ottoman Empire. Basically, it was a big power struggle to find out who was going to take this region when the Ottoman Empire croaks. So, as this all kind of festered, and the reason that Crimea is such an important, integral part of what is now modern-day Ukraine. I think I said Yugoslavia earlier. I don't know why I said that. What is modern-day Ukraine? Um is that it is a port city. So, and unfortunately for the current Russian government, it is the port city for one of their naval bases. So that's why it's in the Russian interest to protect this port in Crimea, and it is in the Ukrainian interest to get it back because of issues that we'll get into here in a little bit. So continuing on with the history of this little small region that's in dispute currently, um, occupied with Russian troops and so on and so forth, and I really haven't even watched any mainstream media coverage of this because in all reality, who cares? They're just going to sell you a bunch of lies anyway, try to get you into war, and and try to also um, – I actually do have a BBC article that will – that will uh, once Josh gets on, I'll read it to him, and he'll be able to point out – the, the spin that they're trying to put on this whole matter in general. So moving back to the history, uh, the war devastated much of the economy of, of Crimea um, and their infrastructure. And so what happened is you had the, the, the Tatars were um, basically m- removed from this area. They've been moved in and out a couple of different times, whether it was through Stalin when he um, he forced the mass exodus, and I'll get into that here in a little bit, but this was through the, the Ottoman Empire, and they religiously go through famine, disease, all kinds of things happen. But what happened at the end of this um, at the end of this entire war, the Crimean War, and it lasted uh, a couple of years, so about 56, 1856, the, the Russian government 
actually went back to resettle um, because it is a it's a very fertile farmland. So once again, um, going back into the times where we actually used to care about farmland crops, cultivation, those types of things before we did, had big agri to help us out. Um, these were very important um, issues to attend to, especially if you are a, are a large and prosperous um, fledgling country like what was happening um, out of Russia through the, the dying of the Ottoman Empire. So moving forward, where it really starts to get interesting is um, the civil war in Russia about um, 1917. So Crimea was the last place for the the white the so-called white Russians, the anti-Bolsheviks, where they made their stand against the Red Russian Army, and they lost, and it was in 1920. So this area has changed hand many, many times over, and I'll put all these links and some of these notes in, but um, it, it's just absolutely astounding. It's like 15 different times that it changes, uh, that it changes hands between, between the dates of um, 1917 and 19, um, 1945, and 1945 is when they start to really solidify that area. So moving on, um, the things to really highlight here in 1932, much like I said before, back in the 1800s, Crimea experienced two severe famines. One's the famine of 1921, and the second one, the famine of 1932. And a large Slavic population, this is where it gets interesting, the large Slavic population uh, occurs in 1930 as a result of the Soviet foreign policy to basically deploy all of the people that were currently living there um, and that were ousted by, um, by Stalin and his regime and his takeover. Now some interesting fun facts about the region um, currently, but not, uh, not as current as I would like for it to be. Um, the notes that I have here um, that currently the Crimean culture is made up of 1.6 million Russians and 262 or 260,000 um, Ukrainians, and that was back in the 1990s. So the numbers have fluctuated just a little bit, but understand it's a very it's a very strong Russian population and almost a 50-50 split. It's a little bit more than 50-50 back in the 80s, and I couldn't find numbers because I was, uh, let's just face it, I was running out of time putting all this stuff together for tonight's show. But keep all this stuff in mind when we're when we're going down this path of why. Why the Ukraine? Why is this so important? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. Um, number one, for for those of you that don't um, that don't study geopolitics, Russia is a huge, huge, huge exporter of natural gas. Now, where does the natural gas go, and where does it flow through? That's the other question. And how does it get to these EU sanctioned nations? So there's two real big power structures utilizing their leverage to try to get into the Ukraine and grab the Ukraine because of the significance of the of these gas pipelines. And magically enough, these gas pipelines run right through this region that we're talking about. And that's why it's so valuable for any any nation or uh, collection of nations like the EU or or even, um, I'm surprised America hasn't got involved in this, but it's kind of in Russia's backyard, so I would understand why they're staying out of it, so to speak, a little bit. Sending John Kerry, the, um, the, the famous wax figure of the United States politics over there, to negotiate whatever he's going to negotiate. Maybe, maybe we're going to go attack Syria again. I don't know. I mean, the way that this operation operates now in the United States with our foreign policy we could we could be in we could be in conflict with Antarctica tomorrow. Who knows? Just off the charts craziness. So anyway, the two power structures are buying for this portion of land mainly because um, of the factions that are there. You obviously have a strong Soviet factions, and they just want some money. Let's face it; it's all about money. And lately, if you haven't noticed. Um, moving forward into the 21st century and into the 22nd century, it will be all about energy. Who has the energy and how can I get it and who has got it the cheapest? So that's where the real battle lies is in the balance sheet. The, the balance sheet is the ultimate arbiter of why these wars go on is one of the reasons that we went over to Syria. It's one of the reasons that we have been in Afghanistan. The American population has no idea what is going on here in the United States, much less what goes on abroad. So 
I mean, you can go fight wars over whatever. If you want to fight a war over lithium, even though you know everybody that's ever invaded Afghanistan is, has never won or never done anything, you can you can go ahead and do that because, once again, Alan Dulles said it, the American people do not read. So there we go. Now, I do want to go to this piece by Paul Joseph Watson, and I do appreciate his research, and I do appreciate his take on a lot of geopolitical things because he comes from the U.K., so he gets a different spin than we do here in America. That being said, always double-check the facts, and the majority of what he says here is pretty spot-on. He covers what I talked about briefly. So let's go to this clip. It's about six minutes long, and this should give us enough time to get Josh on, and then we can have our real conversation about, is this a fascist regime in the Ukraine, or is that a political ploy? Is Putin really posturing for the United States to pull something, or is he just protecting his ports? And what's going to happen with the EU? We all know the EU is struggling. The EU is going bankrupt. If you study politics, if you study geopolitics, if you study finance whatsoever, you understand that the EU, what they've done in Greece, uh, Italy, Spain, all of these other nation states, if you, were, if you were Ukraine and you're sitting there watching Greece get imploded, watching Spain get imploded, and watching Italy go down the tubes, you would probably say, hell no, also. So that's where we're at. And let's go to this clip, and then um, hopefully we'll pick Josh up on the backside to start our conversation. If you guys want to join in the conversation, feel free to log into the chat window via Blog Talk Radio. Also, feel free to call into the show, 602-753-1916. Always up for a good dialogue with all of our fans and all of the people that listen to the podcast on the regular. And once again, for the people that tune in to listen to me live, stummer and stammer around in this reality that we live in, Thank you so much. Once again, share the podcast with people you know, people you like, and, and people you think that might be interested in having a different conversation rather than uh, LeBron James scoring 61 points last night. So, well, there's my sports plug, everybody. There you go. LeBron James scored 61 points for whoever cares. And they wouldn't let him wear this mask that looked like something literally out of, um, literally out of the Stanley Kubrick movie, Eyes Wide Shut. But that's neither here nor there. That is for the conspiracy show, so we will not go there today. Today we are talking about the Ukraine and Russia and why all this stuff is going down and why you should actually care, America. You should care about geopolitics, even though the magic box tells you not to. Here's the clip. The untold secret behind the Russia-Ukraine conflict is that this is part of a broader energy war. Europe and NATO are desperate to end their dependence on natural gas from Russia. While Russia is desperate to maintain its near monopoly on natural gas in Eastern Europe via the largely state-owned Gazprom. Russia supplies 30% of Europe's natural gas and 66% of that travels via pipelines which run through Ukraine. Russia also supplies 35% of Europe's oil. The fact that Ukraine's former government, led by President Yanukovych, had agreed a trade deal to economically integrate with Russia instead of the EU, which it rejected, would have deepened the EU and NATO's energy dependence on Russia, which is one of the primary reasons why the West contrived this revolt. And now we've had that confirmed via release documents proving that U.S. aid, which is a front for the State Department, the National Endowment for Democracy, and other NGOs funded the very protest groups that began the occupation of Kiev back in November. Over the past two years, energy giants such as Chevron, Exxon, and Royal Dutch Shell had started exploration for new natural gas fields in western Ukraine, as well as other Eastern European countries and they discovered huge new natural gas fields in western Ukraine and Poland. But they couldn't get the go-ahead to finalize these deals because Putin was leaning on Yanukovych via this trade deal. Now post-coup, post-overthrow, those barriers are gone and the deals are ready to be signed with the new pro-EU post-coup Ukrainian government. 
This threatens Gazprom's energy monopoly in the region, which was already under stress from the development of five trans-Mediterranean pipelines from Libya, Algeria and Morocco to southern Europe. Obviously, if new natural gas sources are established in western Ukraine by the likes of Chevron, Exxon and Royal Dutch Shell, with a pro-EU government in power, that dramatically reduces Europe's dependence, their reliance on natural gas coming from Russia. Which is why Moscow is now attempting to commence a counter-revolution beginning with its occupation of Crimea. The occupation of Crimea is about setting the precedent for eastern Ukraine and ensuring Russian control. Because three of the four major gas pipelines run through eastern Ukraine from Russia. Domestically speaking, Putin also needs stable and elevated hydrocarbon prices to fund the state budget and pay for all the new weapons Moscow is acquiring. If he loses control over that, Russia becomes far more vulnerable to NATO encirclement in a geopolitical context. So Moscow is already following through on this. Reuters reported today, Putin says Gazprom to scrap gas price discount for Ukraine. The previous discount enjoyed by Yanukovych's administration is coming to an end because the new post-coup government is not paying its bills on time to Gazprom. And of course, yesterday it was reported that Gazprom threatened to disrupt gas supplies to Europe as a result of the political turmoil in Ukraine. Talk of sanctions and reprisals by both Barack Obama, John Kerry and top Russian officials are likely hot air because at least in the short term Europe is dependent on Russia and Russia is dependent on exporting natural gas to Europe so you're probably not going to see any significant or crippling sanctions as Kerry said it looks like it's mostly hot air but what you are likely to see is a de facto partition, a balkanization of East and West Ukraine, because neither army is strong enough to outmaneuver the other. And then the spat will likely return to the question, to the political battle of who controls the puppet government in Kiev, the West or Russia, with the poor Ukrainian people stuck in the middle of this geopolitical tug of war. So to summarize, at around the same time or shortly before this deal was signed between Ukraine and Russia, rejecting the EU, energy giants had discovered large natural gas fields in western Ukraine and were waiting to sign the deal to exploit those gas fields, which would have reduced and eventually eliminated Europe's energy dependence on Russia. Russia, of course, did not want to accept this. They want Gazprom to maintain the near monopoly because if NATO and the EU become energy independent from Russia, it will be a lot easier to follow through on NATO's agenda of encircling Russia with military bases. So that's the true untold story behind the Ukraine-Russian conflict. It's an energy war based around gas pipelines. So that's um, that's what we should be watching, everybody. And you know, if whether it's oil, whether it's natural gas, whether it's lithium, this is what it's about. It's about controlling the energy supply of the planet. And whether it is a um, whether it's an aristocratic regime like they have in 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 some Asian uh, nations, or if it's a if it's just a um, I don't know what to call the American elitist class, but uh, let's just call them um, the the upper echelon, if you will. Whether it's those guys, whether it's the the Russians who have a lot of ties to um, mafia-style government and also KGB ties with um, with Vladimir Putin. So it's all about the energy supply. That's why energy independence is so crucial. And that's why I think that it's very important for the American people themselves, the people that understand 
where all this could go. Not, I'm not saying that none, this doesn't look like World War III to me. This looks a lot like just saber-rattling. Uh, saber-rattling, posturing, and that was one of my questions that I posed. Is this Putin just posturing, or is this really something that we need to, um, that we need to look into? So now that being said, I'm actually going to uh, get our friend Josh on the line here from the Journalistic Revolution. So I'm going to go ahead and pull him up. And uh, you guys, as, as usual, if um, if I'm running a podcast with somebody else, I'm going to be running video and still trying to work the kinks out of this video stuff. But hey, it's it's another medium. And as usual, Josh does not disappoint with the Cardian. So thank you so much, Josh Wiley, for coming on with us tonight. And uh, I don't know how much you've been listening. You got your Go USA America Cup, so we're ready to Absolutely. rock and roll, man. So thanks for coming on. I'm here for the freedom. <laughs> so uh, let me set the stage because I, I know you were doing some stuff and tying some things up before you came on tonight. Um, basically, I went over a, a brief history of Crimea and, and why this area in particular is so important um, for for Russian interest and and just the the overall diversity of the area. It's a mixture of Slavic and and Russian and um, and the and the challenges that they faced with the Crimean War. How that was just a big uh, melting pot for a whole bunch of different empires as the Ottoman Empire was on its way out. Everybody was, you know, having a big grab bag for, for power in the peninsula. And then um, talking about the famines and all the other desolation they've had here and when Stalin kicked them all out after after the Red Russians won and, and the White Russians, you know, basically were defeated and then Stalin kicked out all the Tartars and, and said, you guys are not allowed and then they had the influx of the Slavs. So, now you're pretty much all caught up, and I just actually um, played an InfoWars clip that Paul Joseph Watson did that was a really good boil down of of the money that's involved here with the gas pipeline going through the Ukraine. And what this is really all about, and as I was saying before you even came on, understand that the majority of the things that we fight over and squabble over now are not, um, you know, color your skin, anything like that. It's all about It's all about energy. It's all about cheap energy, and it's all about who controls it because who controls the energy has basically got the leverage that you need. So with all that being said, um, you got the floor, man. What are, what are your thoughts on this? And then um, just geopolitically, and then I want to get into, is this really a fascistic group coming in or is this a strongly nationalistic group that is being slandered upon every media outlet? And I've got a BBC article that you're going to like because it is pure slander, but go ahead. So you got the well, point, your uh, your historical analysis of the Crimean region is uh, was a little bit deeper than than I am familiar with. So thank you for the for the brief primer. Okay. Um, I, I was f- certainly familiar with some of the more recent stuff and uh, the the influence that that Stalin had on the area. I mean, comes to mind. Um, but I didn't even think of the the greater implications and its involvement with the Ottoman Empire. Um, as far as uh, the the Ukrainian situation as a whole goes, um, this is something that we've been talking about pretty frequently on, on the journalistic revolution. Uh, and to, to your second point about, uh, the, the, the nature of these Ukrainian supposed protesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I am staunchly of the opinion, at least at this point in time, that these are very legitimate fascists being backed by the state department. Well, I would I would agree with you, and and the reason that I would agree with you too, um, to the extent, and I have an article that will contradict all the stuff that we're going to say, but just look at what's follow the money. Obviously, you had the NGOs that were basically injected in there about a month ago before all this stuff went to went to task. You had George Soros funded groups that were literally using the same paper cutout. Thank you, Seabell Edmonds, for breaking that, and Josh and I picked that up that were literally using the exact same flyer that they used in Egypt to stir up that rebellion. So once again, it's it's the West going and picking fights, and now not really picking fights, but stirring up rebellion to, to create turmoil, to get people that are EU-friendly in there so that they can, they can bring about this, this grand chessboard that they want to consolidate all these areas into regions and then consolidate the regions into subgroups and then consolidate it into one world government and everything's going to be peaches and 
and and and fine and dandy. But um, I would yeah. agree with your analysis there, just given the fact that the NGOs were over there, and and knowing what the NGOs are there to do, the NGOs are not there to make to make um, national freedoms or nationalism part of their their playbook. They're there for destabilization and EU takeover. That is oh, the of, game. Of course. Yeah, th- this has Soros written all over it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but even more than that, I don't know if you've played this clip uh, on your show for your listeners ever, um, but we kind of covered it on Sunday Night's Journalistic Revolution program, where, uh, you know, the, of course, the the famous, you know, leaked audio clip uh, that, that was put out by uh, Yanukovych's essentially NSA equivalent of Victoria Nuland saying, fuck the EU. And, of course, the uh, the profanity is what makes the headlines, but the context of the tape is talking about which of these two neo-Nazi groups uh, America would find more preferable to, uh, to be in a leadership position. Uh, and, it, and it's very clear. Um, over at globalresearch.com, or .ca, excuse me, uh, Professor Michelle Chosodovsky has a uh, superb article on, uh, on exactly who these two fascist groups are, uh, Svoboda and um, uh, the Fatherland Party, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, both of both of whom uh, have have used not not just Nazi rhetoric or not just fascist rhetoric, excuse me, mm-hmm. but neo-Nazi rhetoric, specifically targeting obviously various religious beliefs and and ethnic creeds, uh, utilizing the same kind of symbols and uh, and hand gestures. So I, I would say that there is some ideational continuity uh, sure. between between Nazis and and these two uh, these these two Ukrainian factions. Well, I actually pulled up that clip, and I don't know. This is um, I don't know how long was the clip because the one I've got is four minutes and change. Yeah, it should be about four four minutes and change. Okay, so let's um, let's go to the clip here, and then uh, and then I'll get Josh's take on the backside. Um, what do you think? I think we're in play. Um, is this it? The, the uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here. Um, especially the announcement of him as Deputy Prime Minister. And, and you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now. So we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yachts. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very glad he said what he said in response. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleach should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you think what, in terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Book and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. Um, I, kinda... I, I, I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week. You know, I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, it, I, think that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay. Good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him as the next step? My understanding from that call, but you tell me, was that the big three were going into their own meeting and that Yats was going to offer in that context a three-way, you know, three-plus-one conversation or three-plus-two with you. Is that not how you understood it? No, I think, I mean, that's what he proposed, but I think just knowing the dynamic that's been with them where um, – Klitschko has been the top dog. He's going to take a while to show up for whatever meeting they've got. He's probably talking to his guys at this point. So I think you reaching out directly to him helps with the personality management among the three, and it, and it gives you also a chance to move fast on all this stuff and put us behind it, behind it before they all sit down and he, um, he explains why he doesn't like it. Okay, good. I'm happy. Why don't you reach out to him and see if he wants to talk before or after? Okay, will do. Thanks. Okay, I've now written, oh, one more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. I can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the U.N. guy, Robert Seri. Did I write you that this morning? Yeah, I saw that. 
he's now gotten both Sari and Ban Ki-moon to agree that Sari could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it. And, you know, fuck the EU. No, exactly. And I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because you can be pretty sure that if it does, if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. And again, the fact that this is out there right now, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind why Yanukovych that. But in the meantime, there's a party of regions faction meeting going on right now, and I'm sure there's a lively argument going on in that group at this point. But uh, anyway, we could uh, we could land jelly side up on this one if we move fast. So let me work on let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep, I, I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to. Um, come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying you need Biden, and I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. So okay. Biden's willing. Okay, great. Right. Thanks. Okay, so political mumbo jumbo. Josh, interpret for the for the group there. Well, I think that probably the the two most important pieces in the puzzle that was presented there are the mention of of two names. Uh, you know, we've got Yatsenyuk, who's the head of the the Fatherland Party, who Victoria Newland affectionately refers to as Yaf throughout the conversation. Right. And uh, also discussed was uh, Ole Tianibok. Uh, Tan- mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm butchering these Slavic names. That's okay. Um, we should just have Robert on to pronounce these names for us. Seriously, though. So uh, Yats is the, is the head of the Fatherland Party, one of these neo-Nazi organizations, uh, who the State Department, it seems, is advocating take uh, political control mm-hmm. of the Ukraine, at least, the, again, the, the Kiev faction of the Ukraine. Um, and I think that it's important that we start to make these distinctions sure. as, uh, as, as civil war is clearly shaping up within the country. Um, and uh, and she she advocates that Chanibok uh, take more of a subordinate role mm-hmm. uh, to the Fatherland Party. But of course, Chanibok also is the uh, uh, the the leader of Svoboda, the other neo-Nazi faction. So at, at this point in time, it seems that uh, the State Department is is advocating that two neo-Nazi groups uh, essentially <laughs> join join forces to to become the new uh, Ukrainian center of power. Wow, that'll be great. And then we can go over there and destabilize them in a couple of years, and that'll be fun, too. Well, it it really is kind of scary in the sense that, you know, we've talked on this program and on Journalistic Revolution a number of times, uh, whether or not uh, that we're we're shaping up for a new Cold War or whether or not we're already in the midst of a new Cold War, uh, of which I think the latter is is absolutely the case. I would would agree 100%, and it's just, it's a lot softer than it used to be because the information is... Is more readily available to the public. There's not as much, and the public cares a lot less too. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, that, that is a very good point, and that's one one of the things that I brought up before you came on is that you know, I know that LeBron James scored 61 points last night, but I mean, we could actually talk about something that could bring on a, a really widened conflict, and especially when you're talking about whenever you're talking about Russia in general, those guys typically don't play games. I mean, they'll they'll bluff and they'll strong arm a little bit, but when it's time to play ball, they do not back down. Unlike I mean, they they didn't they didn't back down in Georgia in 2008 when uh, when the State Department and uh, and the deep political actors of NATO tried to do the exact same thing. It was a destabilization they, effort in Georgia, and then they rolled in nukes and said, "Okay, bring it on." Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and that was what affectionately referred to as the five day war or something like that, right? I mean, and and we're seeing the same kind of uh, military mobilization, unless, of course, you truly believe these are the largest drills in Russian mil- recent Russian military history. In which case, uh, uh, I want to know what you're smoking because uh, I need that number. But <laughs> you know, we literally though we have now people um, uploading videos of of supply lines of tanks of uh, of uh, Russian MiG helicopters flying uh, into the Ukraine. Like this is uh, this is shaping up to be a major conflict. Well, I, I, that was one of the questions that I posed in the in the actual um, podcast was, is this going to shape up to be a, a real regional conflict, or are we just looking at um, some political posturing? 
and I, I don't really know what to make of it other than the fact that with my limited sight on the on the information that I have at, at hand, it doesn't look it doesn't look good for a I would say a soft guerrilla type civil war with skirmishes and squabbles every now and again. Nothing like we saw in Egypt, nothing like we saw or like we're still seeing in Syria, but that's, you know, that's out of the, the public's mind, Josh. You know, that was seven seconds ago. That's out of their mind. So I think that in my personal opinion, and maybe this is a hopeful delusion, I guess, would be <laughs> that, um, that this will be more of a political posturing effort um, with Putin coming out and saying that, um, that he's not going to use force, but will reserve the right to use force. So once again, I really do not that I not that I like um, glorify or fantasize about the Russians, but I really wish that American foreign policy could take some some cues from the way that the way that Putin handles himself in certain situations. Unlike Obama, where it's like, here's a red line. Well, we're gonna draw another one. Now we're gonna draw another. One. Now we're gonna bomb you. We don't got any intel, but we're gonna bomb you because we got to do it. Go America. Show them the mug, Josh. Show them the uh, mug. Go America. There but I go. mean, I, I'm really not sure if uh, if I, uh, you know, take sides with Oceania or East Asia or even care what the posturing of either nation is. I, um, I, would, I would agree with that to an extent because if, if it's their squabble, let them, let them deal with it. And as I've said, you know, prefacing this entire show – this land's been in dispute since the 18, I think it was 1850, or I'm going to have to check my notes. And it's changed hands 13 times from, it changed hands 13 times from 1917 to 1942. So, I mean, you're looking at an area in a region that's, it's kind of like, um, I don't want to offend anybody, but I really don't give a shit. Um, it's kind of like the Israelis and, and the Palestinians. I mean, you're looking at the same squabble for, you know, Israel and Palestine. You're looking at the same squabble for hundreds of years. It's never going to change. It's yeah, not- I mean, I, I'd hardly, I'd hardly call it uh, offensive no. to, uh, to, to discuss what is, you know, a clearly a long-standing conflict, and at the moment, at, at the very least, and a part of a few apartheid states. Um, so uh, yeah, that's it's it's a very sad situation. But what I really think is interesting about all this, and Jake, I I want to know if if what you think about this particular take on it, okay. uh, is is this Washington going for broke in the sense that they tried to kind of foment this uh, rebellion uh, in the heat of the night um, in Syria, uh, during which there was mo- Russian mobilization. You know, uh, Russia essentially called called uh, Washington's bluff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 had to back out. Then uh, we're doing this now again in the Ukraine, uh, to which uh, again military mobilization is being used as a deterrence uh, on on the behalf of the Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we're we are yet to see really whether or not uh, Washington will uh, will will respond in force, mm-hmm. which obviously would be tremendously foolish. Um, <laughs> but but we we we're seeing this now. Two times in the past six months, which is un- unprecedented. This is this is Washington trying to pick a fight deliberately on two fronts in two different regions with one specific country. Sure. All right. So is this is this really you know Washington seeing that all the chips are down that you know the that the the digital game the digital Ponzi scheme of Wall Street can no longer sustain itself or at least the 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 cement slathered on the dam is starting to leak mm-hmm. and it's time to it, it's time to rally the troops again it's a really good question because that's typically what happens when you when you have economic uncertainty to say the least is that the the answer is always to to trot people off to war to create a book man and but that's just that's just human culture i mean human culture says that when you have strife in the village Create a, a create an outside enemy that people can rally around. Absolutely. Now, is that what's going on here? I I think it's just I think it's that people that are actually in Washington trying to run foreign policy have never studied history or economics and have no freaking clue what they're doing. I mean, that conversation right there. That sounds like they were trying to organize like a, a company softball game. 
No, you're paying. You're playing with millions of people's lives, and you're possibly risking going to war. You're an idiot. You're a moron. This is not your. This is not your little fancy. Oh, I get to make phone calls, and we'll see if we can't put a different person into power that's more friendly for our country. Get over it. it, it, it it's. I think it's going to come to a head eventually. With the, with the demilitarization of the United States, I really do think that it's us taking a backseat to somebody else. And I think that it might be the death throes of the dying republic or the dying whatever you want to call it, the dying empire, whatever you want to categorize us. I really do think that as we start demilitarizing, as we start losing funding, I think that people are realizing now that we are Rome and fiddling as Rome burns is not going to do us any good, that we have to stabilize and these people trying to stir up rebellions are just trying to stir up profits or to try to stir up distractions. And that's, that's my take on it. But to fail twice, like you said, um, with something that was so successful in the past, but now with technology they can't do this kind of stuff anymore, um, that just really frustrates me. Just listening to that phone call between these two people, it's like it, it's – it's uh, at a deeper level to me. That's very, that's very disturbing that people try to, to play, to play games like that. L- literally, like you're trying to organize a company softball outing, and, and you're yeah. really devastating people's lives, possibly getting their energy cut off from Russia. Russia's talking about, hey, if you throw sanctions on us, we're just going to cut off energy supply there, and the American people will probably be like, ah, screw them, they're Ukrainian, we don't care, like we don't even know where that is, like. Well, I mean, and the, obviously the the tremendous uh, fact that that's uh, being ignored here is, you know, that that natural gas is not is not does not just supply the Ukraine; it supplies no. uh, a significant part of of Western Europe as well. So. Oh, absolutely! Like thirty five percent of of Germany and like twenty five percent of Poland. It's a big deal, and exactly. Russia Russia understands that, and that's what I, I think is so stupid about American foreign policy in some in some instances. It's like. Do you guys think that these people over there don't have computers or something, or that they don't have really smart people trying to engineer other stratagems and strategies for them? It's like, do you think that they're all stupid? It's like, oh, okay, you want to play games in our backyard? All right, well, we'll just shut off their energy. What do you think of yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, exactly. This isn't, and that's such an important point because it's not 1960 anymore, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't just screw around with this stuff. For United Fruit and uh, and topple over some banana republics, just just because you feel like it on a whim, right? And then try to get him to take over the United States. Here, we're yeah, just it's, the world, it's like world champion. Go ahead. It, exactly, but I mean, there's there's literally uh, an information overload on this stuff uh, within moments of it happening these days. Mm-hmm. So even if you know the the corporate media refuses to cover this kind of stuff. Uh, there will be a sizable percentage of, of not just global citizens, but American citizens specifically that know about this stuff, that know that the empire is on the move again and that it's time to, to, to make your, uh, your voice heard on the matter. And obviously in terms of Syria, uh, the answer was a resounding no. Uh, whether or not these people are, are so, uh, uh, so boisterous as to forego the opinions of the American public uh, and do what they want. Um, I, I think that they've done it plenty of times in the past, and will continue to do it in the future. Um, but we're seeing uh, a such a universal opposition to extended American conflict now, even more so than we saw in the in the early to mid '70s as we were pulling out of uh, of Indochina. Uh, so this is uh, it's it really is an unprecedented shift in the opinions of, of, of the American populace and the American psyche as well. Right, and for the, for the people that care, and for the people that don't care and that just say, well, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. They just but, drift off into la-la land, but th- those are the people that are never going to call their congressmen, that are never going to try to do anything political anyway, so just forget them, people. Just forget them. And, and if you're one of those people that wants to get politically active, if you want to be involved in, in reality – I mean, how do you watch television when you're sitting there looking at at burned buildings, uh, uh, like you said, basically a country that's about to go to civil war, helicopters flying all over the place? How does that not interest you? How does does somebody putting a ball through a hoop interest you more than this? That's what I still can't get. I, I guess because, once again, it always goes back to the American psyche, whatever is easiest. Because it's hard to learn where the Ukraine is geolocated, and it's hard to... To read the history of Crimea and whatever. Anyway, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and the the, the there are such there are so many so many more broader geopolitical implications to what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. It's a situation that's literally developing uh, day by day, if not hour by hour. You know, like you have to stay on top of this stuff to, right. to have a discussion about it. I was absolutely uh, overwhelmed when I was trying to do research for the show today, and I probably spent three hours just researching news articles, trying to sift through. Well, this article says this, and this article says this. Which is really the truer picture here? And typically it's going to be, you know, somewhere in between the, the different shades of gray, I guess, is what you're going to get. But um, but you're right. It, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. But, my God, why, why wouldn't you want to have a conversation like this rather than I, – I guess that's what makes me different is that I would rather have a conversation like this than, than have a conversation about, um, you know, who the Braves are going to sign in the next couple of weeks. But – and again, I can't knock you because you're a, you're a Tigers fan, so you probably actually do take a little bit of that to heart. But anyway, oh, not not much. But okay. Well, here here, let me read this um this brief clip of this article that I pulled up, which I thought was interesting. And this was um this was from the 23rd of February, so take it for what it's worth. And it's from uh, the BBC. So, but I just want to hear people um, I want to hear people understand how mainstream press works in other nations and not just ours. And, and what they're talking about and why you need to do your own research. And most importantly, just do some just do some quick – I mean, I spent probably 45 minutes to an hour researching the history of this area. When I saw the history of the area, I understood what the conflict was about. I understood why Russia would want this support. I understood why Russia was getting pissed off at America for going over to, um, for going over to Syria. That's another port that they have. So it just seems like that – Everywhere the West is trying to destabilize um, a Soviet port here, taking away some leverage there. It's just encircling them, whatever you want to call it. But they're definitely poking the bear here, and that's a bear that I don't want to poke. But here's the CNN article. I just want to read this to you. The um, the woman that got ousted, I guess, was the former the former president, was told by MPs that they had until Tuesday to form a newly united government. Remember, this is back a couple of weeks ago. Later in a TV address, Mr. Tanovsky, help me out with that, the T, the, the guy that's the leader of the, whatever, starts. Johnny oh, Book? Chani, oh, the Turk? No, Chernovich um, suggested that Ukraine would reopen talks with the EU with closer links. And it says, Ms., Mr. Yanukovych's rejection of the EU trade pact triggered the protest that toppled him. That's exactly what – and that's where I wanted to stop because I wanted to get your take on it. His rejection of the trade pact was not what triggered these protests, not well, in the least. I think that whether or not it is the, that is the case, which obviously I disagree with, uh, it's, it's almost immaterial to, to, the, to the more important fact, and that's would any kind of protest under any means have taken place – without significant uh, financial assistance and mobilization from the West. Right. right? No, I would 100% agree, but this just shows from a political perspective and also from, from a, a reader's perspective how you would get skewed and just always believing that the EU are the good guys or always believing that the UN are the good guys. So now well, we have shifted the American psyche and the, and the foreign psyche to – Hey, America's the good guys. It's like no, 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 no. The EU's good. America's good. You know, even though we run child slave rings and 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 do child abductions all over the planet, and we were caught doing it in congressional testimony. That doesn't really listen. That doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it's, I think the the largest problem here is that no matter where you are in in the Western world. Uh, because we have a universal system of, of Prussian education sure. and a universal system of propaganda, it's used differently by different states. Mm-hmm. But one thing all of them don't teach you is to question declarative sentences. No, so, that's a very good point to make. So Exactly. So, uh, so in an article or any article from the BBC, the New York Times, or uh, Orton Tucky News, you know, like <laughs> uh, any of them. And people in Pennsylvania know what they're talking about, all right? Usually. Exactly. You know, if, if a declarative sentence is made uh, and it doesn't have context and it doesn't have supporting arguments uh, with, with which you can read and make up your own mind about the, the validity of said de- declarative statement, mm-hmm. you, you know, this, is, this, this should be 
ingrained in the human psyche at this point in our in, in human history. Humans should know that other humans try to deceive them and that you need to about what is being said on a page or on a screen before you you make up your own mind about it. Uh, dude, Obama wants to give me free health care, man. Come on. Got my Obama phone. What a joke. Got my Obama very Obama very pertinent very pertinent statement to make right there, and I I think that that is um, something that everybody can take away from this podcast. We will give you glimmers and gems of pure logic, reason, and decision making on this show every once in a while. Everybody, this would be one that you would want to share with your friends. Not my psycho babbling through the history of this um, this stricken area, but. Um, Possibly you would want to let everybody understand what Josh is talking about with a declarative statement. And it was kind of interesting that subconsciously I guess I caught that because when I was reading the article, I said, wait a minute, what the hell? Like that's not what this was about. And it's not even – like you said, it's not even the fact that that's not what it was about should be important. What should be important is it just makes a declarative statement and then moves on. And says in his address, he said the dialogue with Russia that he can expect the Ukraine is the Ukraine's the Europeans' choice, according to the translation remarks carried by the Associated Foreign Press News Agency. Yeah, there. but it's 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 one thing to to have a, a declarative statement that disagrees with an, a pre-existing ideology, right? Like, sure. it doesn't. I don't think it, uh, every Christian who Jesus reads was a great, mushroom. Exactly, or or there is no God. I don't think Christians look at that and 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 take it, you know, uh, without without questioning, because sure. there's there's a part of their psyche that already says, wait, I've learned otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, so. I'm I'm not going to believe that, right? And and this this goes for anything. So like, it, but we need to get back in the habit as a as a species of questioning all de- declarative sentences from there is no God to there is a God and you have to give 10% of your savings to him. Uh, and uh, by the way, here's his, here's his, his visage. He's uh, this is a cult of human sacrifice. Uh, we didn't tell you that part when he came in the door, but come to heaven with us. It's okay. Right? It's okay. These are all, these are all statements. The body that of Christ questions. shed for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to get on a Christian rant or anything like that because um values that Christianity teaches are very good. Some of the some of the things that the eighteenth century Christianity did is basically taught uh around the, some of these some of these Southern Baptist churches that I'm well, around is very, 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 very different. It's not yeah, it's not called the greatest story ever told for no reason. I think that everyone should certainly read it. Uh read it read it in the purest context possible. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna read a tainted one at the very least, make it like the new international version or something translated directly from Aramaic, which yeah. isn't the new international version. I can't um I can't read the new contemporary one that tells me I can wear jeans and go bang on drums and then I'll be safe and go to heaven. As long as I give the mega mega church ten percent of my savings. Uh, I- I I think the best one to read really is the Book of Mormon. Uh, mm, that's good one. You know, get 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 all the views in there. Uh, there we go. Okay, so that was all satirical rant for the last two minutes. So if we lost everybody on the podcast, we are still <laughs> going to talk about the Ukraine. But I would also like to um to touch on what you and I we got a few minutes here. What we got like seven minutes left. Good. All right. So final thoughts on the Ukraine, man. Let's wrap this up and then we can go into some other stuff really quickly before we got to get out of here. Well, I think it's a really sad situation, and it's a situation that isn't being reported accurately in any sides of, of, of the American mainstream media, right? Uh, it, it's funny, um, uh, my dad came bursting in the room earlier, uh, saying, oh, I had Bill O'Reilly on in the background, and uh, to De- he had Dennis Kucinich on, and Dennis Kucinich actually said, uh, well, maybe we shouldn't be funding neo- funding and founding neo-Nazi groups to uh, to overthrow governments and then complain about the, the reaction from Russia. Uh, and, and of course, that was responded to you with a flippant argument uh, from every uh, from American no spins man. Up, Josh. <laughs> yeah, the the spin stopped right there, and then Bill Bill had to Bill had to give it another push. Oh um, gosh, it's, but, it's really comical. Go ahead. But but I do think that you know it's it's encouraging that on this particular subject, some of this dialogue is even entering mainstream media, if only to be discredited uh, and 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 dismissed. 
so the fact that people are are becoming familiar with the, with these kind of talking points is encouraging in the sense that if you are someone who's listened to to this kind of information or you go out and you read articles, uh, whether they're from the BBC or they're from Global Research, uh, or they you know talk about uh, trade deal oustings or neo Nazis or or any of these these competing idea, ideas or factions mm-hmm. within the discussion about the Ukraine. You can now at least have them in a public forum. Sure. People won't stare at you with dull eyes. Of course, uh, in, unless they ask, you know, what is the Ukraine, uh, which I, I still think 90% of Americans would, would respond with. Um, Actually, I think a better question would ask them be, where is it? Hmm? No, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't even think that. they'd ask I'm, where. Yeah. I think what is what they would ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, not to, not to bash the sheeple, but I mean. What's the Ukraine? Huh? What's What's a Ukraine? <laughs> hey, man, I heard of you all. I ain't heard of no Ukraine before. <laughs> and so that was my cheesy southern joke for the night. But um, I, I would I would agree with a lot of what you said in the fact that um, it's a very sad situation. It's it's very disgusting to me. It's like it, it's and it should be disgusting to everybody that lives in this country. And and once again, I'm not a big nationalist, but. I do share a border with all of you people that are listening to this fine broadcast, and I don't like my tax dollars or my my name being spread all over the world as somebody that goes and foments rebellions full of neo-Nazis to overthrow governments so that we can come in and bang out a trade deal. I mean, come on, give me a break. And it's not yeah. – this has been – this is not a tactic that the United States have never done before, and oh my god, we got caught this one time. No, we've been doing this since like the 40s with the Ayatollah. And it's just, I'd say before then. No, probably, yeah. I would uh, – yeah, I, I left it open for – I mean I'm just talking about recent yeah. history, I guess. But, uh-huh. but it, I mean it should be, it should be very disturbing to this everyone. Is, yeah, absolutely. This is, I think, America coming, to, coming face-to-face with the, cognit- with the cognitive dissonance that it has held for a very long time in that America is now having to look at itself and say we are a country that foments rebellions that goes and screws over its friends and its enemies, that sets up its friends to become its enemies later on, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, that uses untold human sacrifice and bloodshed for, for m- control of resources and drugs to poison their own people, mm-hmm. right? This, this is the country that America is and has been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I just, my, my greatest fear is that this will uh, once again be compartmentalized uh, to, it, to a by administration from a by administration standpoint, right? Sure. So this will be so Obama will have Syria and the Ukraine, and then whoever the next you know person that that Wall Street decides they want to fund comes in, it'll be like, well, that was Obama's stuff, and look at and and then it, it just really leaves a, a big gap to say to say, and I think this is where you're kind of going. This just leaves a gap to say. Oh, look at what he did as a president. You know, he's he did X, Y, and Z, and we got this new guy in here now. And it just, you know, guys, it, it's up to you. It's up to you, the individual. It's not up to somebody. Quit electing people. How about that? How about quit paying taxes? How? Hey, there's some novel concepts to you. Quit voting. Why do you vote for these people? Why do you care? And and I think that, um, you know, and if you you think that you're going to go in and change the political system of the United States, and you're going to go in there and I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna I'm gonna be the champion of the Constitution. Good luck, son. Good luck against those blue blood Republicans and and the and the Democratic Party, because they got tons of money and they got lots of power. And that's why I say the only way that we're gonna reverse this stuff is to just you can't elect somebody that's gonna reverse the United States. It's just impossible. So you have to withdraw. You have to withdraw consent. You have to withdraw monetarily. Uh, any way that you can from any kind of big franchise, any kind of big government spending, do whatever you can and just understand that you're going to face repercussions no matter what. And, you know, let's just hope that they can't they can't uh, they can't go after your pocketbook. So just make <laughs> just make it nice and easy for them. All right. So, Josh, we got about a, a minute or two left and we're probably going to go into some overtime here. Once again, everybody, if you want to see this broken up video, hopefully it won't be too bad this time because I've actually lowered the frame rate not to get into a bunch of nerd speak. But lower the frame rate so hopefully we'll have a decent production this time and it'll actually look like I'm speaking and then Josh is speaking instead of us speaking over each other. So um, once again, I apologize, everybody, but I'm trying to do the best I can and trying to produce better content on this streak budget, and I hate it when that girl talks to me. Anyway, uh, can you hear that, Josh? 
Yes, I can. Okay, so everybody's going to be able to hear that. So everybody gets to hear what I hear. You get to hear somebody yelling at me just to wrap up my own show. What a joke. All right, so um, <laughs> anyway, Josh, let's talk about The One Step Beyond. We're going to try to get that filmed um, this weekend. Is that uh, I know you wanted to try to do it earlier, but we might be able to bang it out Friday just uh, depending on little one because uh, I do have a um, – a floating variable in the situation. So let's talk about the one step beyond what, what our philosophy is and, um, and how we're going to produce this thing and, and the reason that we're producing it. So a lot yeah, of in right there, so let's go. I call it uh, an as quick as possible type thing. You know, it's obviously you're the, you're the moving variable in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yeah, it, see, it, she cut you off. Get some. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love it. She, she's really... She's British, <laughs> so it makes it okay. Oh, man. Grinding my gears, man. Um, but uh, one step beyond, I guess, is going to be kind of, uh, uh, a lengthy discussion, documentary style discussion, um, between the two, between the two of us, uh, you know, maybe down the road we'll, we'll bring in, uh, other, other people, um, but uh, about, you know, specific topics kind of from, uh, an, an angle that might not have been covered, uh, at, at length or, or at all. Uh, so, for example, we're, our first episode will be on the Anglo-American establishment, um, of which there is, you know, a litany of of research about uh, in in print, in uh, in in podcast form, in video form. But you know, we're we're really going to be kind of talking about not only the history of the Anglo-American Empire itself, uh, but the the mechanisms by which they um, uh, they, they sustain their control. Um, and I, I think that that's an important discussion to have in 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 uh, in an uninterrupted format. I think that there's a lot of places where you could get all this information, but it would take a lot of clicking and a lot of reading. And uh, you know, we're looking to kind of be tutors, I guess. Is that a good word for it? Tutors of of uh, some of this occulted knowledge? Sure, absolutely. And, and a good way to kind of look at it is that I would be considered a a, a moderate or a novice, where somebody like yourself that has spent uh, more time researching and and have read more of the books from the global controllers and other people from the Anglo-American establishment or have talked about it or have been a part of it. Uh, I think that that will give us a really good dichotomy of of two different perspectives. You know, somebody that's coming into the information. Let's see, I've been doing um, I've been doing research on and off for the past five and a half years. So so I'm five and a half years in. Obviously, haven't put in the time and effort that you have. But um, it'll give people a good jumping-off point, as well as you know, finding out where they are in this, you know, in this in this area of information, and then finding out where they want to go. And yeah, I, like you and I talked about before, there's a bunch of different rabbit holes to go down, and each one of them leads to a different place. Which is, you know, if you're doing research, it's always fun to find out where the end of the rainbow is. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you have to um, you have to pick your battles and find out what what interests you, and that's why we're going to cover. A whole litany of different uh, different topics, and and cover them in a format that's very succinct, and and I think that I'm actually going to wear a shirt with a tie on it, and Josh might be actually dressing up. So we're going to try to look fancy for you people, and we're going to videotape it on two ends, and um, hopefully we won't have any lag, and we'll be able to produce some good content because that's really what it's all about. If we can produce really good content, then um, then you will have no qualms sharing it with somebody else because. It'll look good, and it'll be an accurate and um, cogent representation of the information. So hopefully, you know, we're, we're going to do our best for you. If you can do our best for us and spread the message, then we would really appreciate it. Uh, any last thoughts, Josh, before we uh, before we sign off tonight? Uh, no, that that sums it up pretty well. Uh, you can find, I guess, all my work at uh, journalisticrevolution.com. Uh, I'm on the air there. I guess uh, Sunday night is the only night that you can consistently find me uh, from 11. Josh Wiley. Yeah, from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, over at LibertyMovementRadio.com. But JournalisticRevolution.com is where I uh, kind of live and breathe. That's where I put out uh, more of my uh, personal work uh, and the stuff that, uh, you know, just has my rubber seal of approval on it. Because every time, you know, as, as you do live radio and collaborations with other people, there are, you know, a, 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 a smorgasbord of different opinions that get thrown around and uh, and uh, some, some ideologies espoused to uh that might not necessarily be my own so if you want my take on it i guess journalisticrevolution.com but there we go and yeah. as always you guys can find me at we are not cattle.net 
uh, like my YouTube channel, like my Facebook page, um, follow me on Twitter if you want. And once we get this stuff out, it is going to be pushed out on both of our um, sites. And moving forward in the future, um, I think we're in the works of talking about being in um, – Josh is moving towards the journalistic revolution being a news aggregator, and I will probably be joining their team, so they will carry my – my research, my work, my take on the world, whatever you want to call it, they will be keeping it there, and um, you can find me through that link as well. So hopefully we'll be able to do some good cross-branding and cross-platforms um, cross because I think that a lot of people that that share interest in your show would share an interest in mine and vice versa. So catch them. Um, they actually run a show Wednesday, Sunday, and Friday. Yeah, so, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. There we go. God, I butchered that. Anyway, time to end the show, everybody. When you're starting to when you're starting to butcher plugs, it is time to end the show. So, thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, as always, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And uh, let's try to see if we can keep America out of these foreign entanglements by fomenting rebellions full of neo Nazis. Doesn't that sound like fun? Take care, everybody. <laughs>